Welcome to the Lightcast podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gast, registered associate marriage and family therapist. I talk openly about mental health to normalize and cast light on the shadows of the human experience. Tune in for monthly episodes based on themes that intuitively arise for me personally and professionally. Disclaimer, the Lightcast podcast, including any references and resources, are for informational purposes only. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or intervention. My podcast may cover sensitive topics, including but not limited to abuse, suicide, violence, mental illness, sex, drugs, and alcohol. Your discretion is advised. On this episode of the Lightcast podcast, I discuss the experience of being disconnected from one's emotions and underlining needs. While normalizing this experience, I talk about the origin of this disconnection and the impact it has on how we relate to our personal and relational needs. I shine a light on how self-compassion can lessen judgment in the view of oneself as needy. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening this month. Uh, Last month, I did take a little bit of a break. So in line with what the theme was, was needing to listen to your emotions and what the underlining need was underneath that emotion. And uh, your favorite mental health podcaster was feeling tired and I needed a little bit of a break. And so I listened to that need and I took a little month break and now I'm back. And so this theme was coming up for me personally, for clients, for people in my life around me, and we're going to just jump right in. So we all have times when we feel burnt out and sad and tired anxious, lonely, angry, frustrated, right? You name it. We all experience these from time to time. And any emotion is just a cue about what's going on internally for us. And we choose whether or not to respond to it. And sometimes through our childhood and our other lived experiences, we learn to associate our feelings with being just too much to handle or just too painful or uncomfortable. So we learn to shut them out and not listen to them. Just not really tuning in on a day-to-day basis to what this internal experience is that you're having. So we can get really used to just trekking along ignoring our own body's cues and not realizing, let's say, how exhausted we are until our body decides for us and we get sick or, like me, was feeling way too tired and needed to take a break. Or, you know, letting us kind of continue living a life that isn't very fulfilling because we're just not wanting to look and feel at our sadness or even just conducting our lives from a state of urgency without realizing that anxiety has been propelling our behavior and our motivation. So we can get kind of stuck in this survival mode because maybe we just learned that it's unsafe to sit with those emotions to really be able to tap into those needs that you need to act on but just the feeling itself maybe somewhere you learned this messaging that it's unsafe for me to really sink into how i'm feeling this false belief that you can't handle it or it's too much to look at and so instead we function from this survival mode because it's what feels safest to our body right to ourselves it just feels safer that way 
to keep trekking along, being in survival rather than stopping and tuning in to this internal cue we have when we have a feeling and we have an emotion and seeing what it really needs. So we often, you know, have an idea of what could make us feel better, right? Like if we have a personal need, like we're feeling tired, right? We could have an idea that, yeah, like more sleep might make us feel less tired, right? Low energy or fatigue or dealing with anxiety. We know there are a lot of things that we can do to help us feel better, right? Like having a healthier diet, getting active, going outside, getting some fresh air, meeting new people, reading a book, engaging in a hobby, right? There's all these tangible things that we, you know, may have an idea and know that, you know, logically these things will maybe help us in some ways. But sometimes it often feels just easier to, let's say, stay up late and get an extra episode of your show in before bed rather than get that extra hour of sleep you've been needing or maybe sitting with how lonely you've been feeling and giving yourself or allowing yourself a good cry. We can end up feeling like it's easier to stay up and scroll on your phone rather than read that book that you've been wanting to get to or just scroll instead of journaling about how overwhelmed you're feeling with your workload. Or you'll even distract yourself with work and to-do lists instead of actually noticing how anxious you're feeling and instead taking a break to go outside or, you know, feel the sun on your face. It, it might feel easier to snooze that alarm button right in the morning rather than wake up early and you know do some yoga or go to the gym or practice meditation and just be with yourself and checking in with your body right like it can just feel easier to do those things sometimes even though we may logically know the thing that we really need to do to help us feel better but we may find ourselves you know doing any of these kinds of things And we all deal with this, you know, from time to time in various degrees, right? So I just want to normalize that experience first and foremost, right? That like, this is a normal thing, right? Therapists, hey, we deal with it too, okay? Sometimes people have this idea that therapists have like it all together all the time. They got all their self-care disciplines and all these things in practice, but or human too, and sometimes it is so much easier to distract yourself and do all the myriad of things that I just described. Right? So what oftentimes happens though is that when we do these things and we're very conscientious that we're not doing the things that would probably help us feel better, but we're just actually being really disconnected from our feelings and our needs, is what makes it worse is when we're really hard on ourselves about doing this. We're really hard on ourselves and judgmental of doing these instant gratifications that help in the moment rather than doing the more disciplined self-care things that we know are going to be good for us in the long term. So it ends up feeling worse is just having no self-compassion for why this feels so challenging to do sometimes. I know that's what I help people unpack a lot during therapy is, you know, you can feel, you know, sad or anxious or frustrated about something, but when you feel frustrated or disappointed or mad at yourself for having those emotions and doing those things that help make you feel better, like it's just a layering of feeling bad about feeling bad. And we just see that there is so much self-judgment happening in that process and just so much, you know, yeah, just so much judgment and not enough self-compassion for why in that moment it might just feel challenging to 
you know, do the thing that in the moment it just felt like it helped, even though we know that there's something better that we could be doing. But for right now, it's hard. And it's hard to human. Okay, like it really is. It's hard. And what makes it harder is when we're being mean to ourselves for struggling sometimes and doing what we can to get by. And, um, you know, something, like I said, as this is a theme, right, I pick up themes that are happening. And this was happening for me and a lot of folks I, I, I know. And my supervisor had said something extremely reassuring and very validating, which was, you know, I think this was one of those weeks when I was feeling like I wasn't keeping up with my yoga or my meditation discipline. And I was getting down on myself about not being very consistent with the things that I know would be good for me. And she, of course, completely normalized and validated that experience for me and, and shared a little bit on her end, but shared this piece that I really, really loved, which was that she is inconsistently consistent with her self-discipline. And, you know, really said it as this thing of, you know, when you zoom out, right, and you see yourself along this graph, if you will, of keeping on top of your self-care and all these important things that help take care of your underlining needs, that there are times, right, where you're consistent, hey, and then maybe you fall off for a few days, right? And then at some point you get consistent again for a couple weeks, right? Oh, and then you fall off for another week, right? But when you zoom out, there is a consistent a consistent pattern of inconsistency, right? So just normalizing and validating that, yeah, we're inconsistently consistent. And so to not be so hard on oneself for that, that yeah, sometimes we're gonna go through periods where we're not as consistent about, right? Being with our emotions or really listening to our needs and doing the things that we know will be helpful for us. Okay, but sometimes we just go through these periods of that inconsistency and that's absolutely normal. And, you know, sometimes we need to do that too. Because we always take the path of healing that is most readily available to us. Right? So if we have functioned from this place of survival for so long, sometimes these paths are the thing that just feels safest to us. And... When you have this feeling, right, this emotion, and there's some underlining need underneath, and instead of, you know, sitting with that feeling long enough to really listen to what the need is, because, right, you've learned somewhere that it's too painful and you can't sit with it, and we just push it away and distract it itself. Sometimes doing these things, right, that maybe aren't the most long-term helpful, right? Like doom scrolling or snoozing away when you could wake up early, all these other things, right? We may do those things simply because it is what feels safest to our bodies when we have learned that sitting with our feelings is too much. And so we'll push it away, we'll distract, we'll do these kind of instantly gratifying things to make us feel better in the moment. Right? So if I can come up with some kind of analogy for this, it's like if we just put a Band-Aid on top of a dirt-covered wound, right? So this Band-Aid is like, you know, watching TV, staying up too late, um, distracting yourself with diving into your work or being on your phone all day, any of these kind of Band-Aid type things that in the moment kind of keeps us from feeling the experience that we're having, right? So rather than taking the time to clean out the wound, right? You'll just slap this Band-Aid on top of it, but that won't be good for it in the long term, right? You got a dirt infested wound, it might get infected, but you just put a Band-Aid on top of it, right? But rather, when you take the time to clean the wound, yeah, it might burn. Sometimes it does and we try to clean out the germs and it might feel really raw, right? It doesn't feel good in that moment. But when we do that, we're taking care of the underlining wound. And then we can start to take actions like 
and putting some Neosporin on it and then putting on a Band-Aid, right? All these things that help then take care of that wound and help it heal in the long term, right? But sometimes we go to these instant gratification things, right? These Band-Aids. And we go to those because it's just a way to satiate an unmet need and reduce that uncomfortable feeling that comes with it just the quickest way possible, right? It may not be sustainable, right? As I said, when we put a Band-Aid on some dirt-covered wound, right, it it may not help us in the long term. It, it may just inevitably have that feeling resurface again. But the whole point is that we end up doing that in the moment only because it just is the quickest route to feeling better, right? You feel that emotion come up and it's just so much easier to distract yourself than it is to sit with it and feel it and then get connected to what need is really underneath that. But if it feels too painful, yeah, we're going to go to the quick band-aid thing, right? You're just the thing that instantly gratifies, helps reduce that discomfort that came up and feels like it temporarily satiates that need. But yeah, it may resurface again because we're not really sitting with it, right? And sometimes people think therapy is like this too, Hey, okay? This is something that actually came up recently too as a theme, which was people, you know, think they go to therapy and the therapist is going to fix the problem. And people don't realize that when they're coming to therapy, they're the ones having to do the hard work. They're, They're the ones feeling the emotions. They're the ones experiencing these things in their life and in their body. And the therapist simply just going to a therapist isn't going to make that go away instantly. But oftentimes people expect these instant results that the therapist is going to say these magic words or something. And then all the pain they've had that they've been struggling with on their own is just going to go away. And boy, do we wish we could, right? Like we'll always say this, wish I had that magic wand and could just fix it for you. But that's not even how that process works. And just like kind of the Band-Aid and the wound example is that therapy can also be a painful process. Sometimes we have this idea that healing, the work of healing is all this meditation and journaling and gratitude and finding peace and all this love and light stuff, right? Which it can be. We have moments of that, but we often do tell clients that it kind of feels worse before it gets better. Because the point is sitting with the pain, really looking at it and experiencing it. And the therapist there is there to support you as you go through it on your own. Because no one is experiencing it but you. Right? As therapists, especially, I mean, we have the empathy to 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 see what it must feel like and to hold it and hold that space with you so tenderly. But at the end of the day, you're the only one experiencing it. And we can't just remove that pain. You have to go through it to be able to grow from it. And so therapists can't be the band-aid for the client. Otherwise, we're just disempowering our clients by suggesting that we have all the answers or have the perfect advice and that can just rob you of this deeper process that you get to go through by getting yourself through this pain and the deeper work. And so all that to say that it is hard. And so we all have these moments where we disconnect from our feelings, some more than others, but it's, it's for survival a lot of times. And so not to beat yourself up for having a hard time sitting with your emotions. It can be really hard work to be in your body and feel what you're feeling, especially if it connects to, you know, something really familiar from your past that was really traumatic and hurtful and 
brings up very, very raw, familiar feelings, right? It's hard to sit with that. And in general, if you're going through your life, right, in this survival, almost autopilot sometimes mode, not realizing that the only reason why you're getting work done is because you're propelled from this state of anxiety or, oh, the reason why you've been so sad is because things aren't feeling really fulfilling in your life and you just haven't been looking at it. Like getting in touch with that, that is really hard to sit with, no doubt. And there's nothing really to be able to take that away. Like a therapist isn't going to be able to fix that for you. And yes, watching an extra episode at night when you just don't want to go to bed and be with your thoughts while you're trying to rest your head at night is easier. So don't beat yourself up for it. If you find yourself doom scrolling rather than sitting with yourself, like you're not alone for doing that sometimes. Because you're just doing what feels safest for your body at the time. And that is a form of healing. When the body hasn't felt safe to feel emotions, when we're just doing what we can do in the moment to feel okay, that is a form of healing. Of course, I'm not going into any self-harm or destructive behaviors, right? Again, those are protective mechanisms themselves, and they are in form a way of doing that as well. But I'm talking about more of the, you know, the little things just that we distract ourselves from really sitting with ourselves. And when we do that, it's just one other form of survival and trying to make our bodies feel safe. And sometimes healing looks different on different days. That's also something us therapists will say a lot too, is that, yeah, healing one day looks different on another. It can look like one day you're crying and you're really in touch with your feelings and the next day it can look like I just need to watch my movies that I love to watch and cuddle up on the couch and not think about any of that from yesterday. Right? And both of those things can be healing just in different ways. But mostly the message here is about accepting yourself where you're at and embracing yourself and talking to yourself with some self-compassion, not being so hard on yourself for where you're at. Right? Especially if there's this level of acknowledgement of like, oh, I know I could be doing these things, but you know what? I'm going to kind of almost consciously choose not to connect right now. Okay, well, that's where you're at. And you don't have to beat yourself up for it. You can talk to yourself with some self-compassion to tell yourself, yeah, just sitting with that feel really hard today. Do what you need to do to take care of you. Whatever gets you through this day that makes you feel safe. And again, just be compassionate because it's hard to be human and experience all the things that we do in our lives and trying to keep up with our day-to-day lives as well. Sometimes it really is a matter of getting through the day, getting through the things that we need to get done, responsibilities, all these things that we hold ourselves to every day. So give yourself a break on days when it just feels hard to really access those feelings. And so the next part, right? So like this first part, I really talked about a lot of these personal needs, right? Like rest and anxiety and sadness and just how you deal with your own personal needs and how we can tend to lean towards the more instantly gratifying things rather than doing the long-term gratifying work that may just be hard to do in the moment, really sitting with ourselves and not distracting from the wound, but really being with it so we can understand 
what it's trying to communicate. The feeling of anxiety, the feeling of sadness. And if you want to know more about what all of those emotions communicate from a really evolutionary, um, biological even standpoint, you can go back and listen to, I think it was episode eight. I think it was a shadow work and wisdom of the body. Um, and so if you want to know more about what these emotions are really communicating and the messages that they're, they're trying to state and the behaviors that come through with them as well, take a listen to that one because I go way more in depth, I think in the second half about what all of those are trying to communicate, right? But here we're just really focusing on normalizing this experience of this disconnection and, and again, giving yourself a break for it. If you're not feeling really connected to your emotions and really listening to those personal needs and you're just doing what you need to do to get through it, and in the next half, after I take a little small break, I'm going to talk about more about how when these unmet needs are not just happening within yourself personally, but when they're occurring interpersonally in connection with others. And talking about really why this disconnection occurs in the first place and the disconnection from our own needs, how that all happens and how that's all connected. Alrighty, and we're back. So we left off talking about all of these emotions more related to meeting your personal needs, this own kind of internal checking in process that sometimes we can ignore or distract from, right? Uh, the personal needs for rest if we're tired or needing to feel safe when we feel anxious, needing fulfillment when we feel unhappy, all these things that sometimes we struggle to internally check in and listen and sit with because it can be challenging. But how about unmet needs in connection, in relationships with other people? And Ironically, that is where the origin of our own disconnection from our personal feelings and needs actually begins is, as a lot of you know, if you're an avid listener, I'm an attachment-based therapist. And so the lens I view things through is from the attachment from our early caregivers and family and those who we were around when we were growing up. And so when we go through our childhood without our need for connection, comfort, support, validation, love, any of these things, we have gone through our childhood without having those needs met. That's an extremely painful experience for a young child because all of those things are equivalent of survival. Right? We can talk about what is traumatic to other people, right? We think a little T versus big T trauma, right? But to a young child, not having the support and love and connection and comfort from the people who they know and love and raised them, that does feel like survival. And we do need that, especially when we're little, but we need it throughout our whole life, attachment. That never goes away. We experience attachment from birth to death and we go through cycles of that throughout our lives. So when we're children and we learn from a very young age that our needs are not going to be met by people because the people that we were closest to saw our feelings or shut them down or didn't meet these needs, why would anybody else 
meet them. So as a young child, our needs not being met by the people in our life, a message becomes internalized that our needs are not going to be met by other people. So the innate drive for connection will shut down purely for survival. And the child will learn that they need to go at this alone and not seek it from connection. So our attachment here is a blueprint that shapes us for how we interact in our adult relationships. So if we had a judgmental and critical parent, a distant or rejecting caregiver, we learn that that is how people will be in relationships. That's how people will respond to us when we are most vulnerable. It is the blueprint that we relate to people from. So having this judgmental or critical, distant, rejecting caregiver, we may learn that it is not safe to ask for what we need or to express our emotions from not having that need met because of how these caregivers met us at the time. And so instead, this person, this young child may grow into an adult who shuts off connection to their emotions because they would have to experience the painful emotion of not having these having these needs met by the person in their life that was supposed to take care of them. So that's why as adults, when we may feel anxious or sad and we have a hard time sitting with these feelings, right? As I outlined in the whole first part of this, right? We may learn somewhere that feeling this feeling is too much it's too uncomfortable, it's too painful, I can't handle it, it's going to swallow me whole, and so I have to move away from it, I have to distract it, right? We learn this messaging when we're a young child, experiencing this anxiety or sadness, this painful experience of having these feelings, and as adults, we may struggle to feel these feelings because they remind us of that time. Our body remembers what it's like to experience this emotion alone without our attachment figure attending to our needs, either blatantly or indirectly, but somehow shaming or rejecting or withdrawing or criticizing our emotions and needs as a child. So, as adults, we learn that it is too painful to sit with that feeling because it is reminiscent of what that experience was like when we were younger. And when we were younger, it felt impossible. Because when you're little, like, it does feel like you need your caregivers. You do. You're a very vulnerable, innocent population that does need a lot of taking care of. And so it literally does feel like life or death when you're not getting that from your attachment figure. And so if your little body was going through survival mode of feeling like this is life or death because I'm not, I'm expressing this emotion and my caregiver is rejecting me or criticizing me or completely shutting me away. I am now experiencing this awful, painful emotion and a need that's not getting met and I can't do anything about it. So instead, the survival mode will take in and learn to just disconnect from tapping into those emotions and listening to them, and then therefore ignoring those unmet needs and just trekking along the only way they know how. And so that's where a lot of folks find me, a lot of the folks I work with, I am, as I said, an attachment base, and so we view these things through this lens. And this is a really common experience. Because of generational trauma, 
because of this blueprint that you form from your caregiver is just a version of the same blueprint they learned from their parents and so on and so on and so on and go further back. You can always go further back. And so again, it's, it's never a sense about blaming a caregiver because they were only doing what their blueprint knew at the time as well. And as children, we really do need our caregivers to meet those things for us. As I said, it, it is a matter of survival at that age. But when you're an adult and these things are still a struggle for you, we can view it through the lens of attachment, but it's purely to be able to understand and build insight and awareness around how this has impacted you. It's not to run around saying that, you know, you did this, it's your fault. You need to do this for me so that I don't have to experience this anymore. Because once we become an adult, we sadly have to grieve that that time of getting our need met by another person is over. As a child, we genuinely do need that for survival. But that time has passed and one is an adult now. And as painful as that is to grieve that that time is over, it is now the adult's responsibility to understand how this impacted them and what they can do about it now that they understand how it has shaped them. And so when we're adults, we can have a harder time accessing our emotions that are connected to our needs. And if we can't acknowledge our own feelings and can't access what our needs are, how are we going to be able to communicate them in connection, in relationships? And so I help a lot of folks who are working through the grief and the disappointment of abandoning their own needs purely because they had no idea how to access them at the time. Right? And this is that part I was talking about in the first part where right, people go to therapy and kind of have this expectation or this hope that they're gonna share their pain and then the therapist will be able to give some advice and it'll just fix the pain. But this is the part, that deeper wound, that deeper process space that happens when we start to build awareness and insight around our life experiences and how they've shaped us. It's a layering of different kinds of emotions. And I do see a lot of folks working through a lot of grief and disappointment about now that they have awareness about this, they see, they can look in hindsight and they can see that they struggle to access their emotions and what they needed and they let life kind of go on past them. They let relationships keep going the way they were going without really realizing how they were feeling in it. And that grief and disappointment is complicated because right like now they're just starting to feel all of those emotions and realizing all these unmet needs but can be which can be really, really overwhelming, right? To be able to start to wake up and notice this experience that you've lived through and realizing that, right? Wow, I was going through my life not really in touch with my own emotions and not really being aware of what I needed in these moments and didn't know how to communicate them. So a lot of that grief and disappointment is not just disappointment in other people, but also holding some disappointment for themselves. And that's a really hard space to be in, right? Hindsight to see that. But that is again why self-compassion is so, so important. Because again, we do what we do for survival and in these times when we go back and we look in hindsight, these were moments when these people were still functioning in survival mode and they were disconnected because that is what self 
that's what felt safest to their body at the time. Because when they would sit with their emotions, it would be too overwhelming because it would remind them of that time when they were a young kid and they had no one to help with that emotion and they didn't even expect their need to be met. So as an adult, they struggled to do that and they were just in survival mode trucking along. And now that they build awareness, now that there is a connection and a bridge to their body and their feelings, they they realize this and that can be hard to, to sit with. And that's why I use the word grief because there's a lot of grief in that sadness that that was how they survived at the time. And as I've said before in this podcast is that our body only cares about keeping us safe. It doesn't necessarily make us happy. Its concern is how to keep the body safe. And sometimes that doesn't correlate with what we need to feel happy. And so this is something that I see a lot come up and it's a, it's a, like I said, complicated process because it is hard, but it is also the pathway through to become connected again, right? So the disconnection removes us from the sensitivity of the emotion. But when we start to connect into the grief and the pain and the disappointment of it, like I said, that dirty wound, right? Like being in it, cleaning it up that's the work because now you're actually bridging connection and you're feeling you're feeling your feelings it doesn't always feel good and that's why we do a lot of normalizing and validating that through the therapeutic process because it's not always easy to be in that but that is the way you reconnect and that takes you towards that path that you want to be headed towards And so something I hear a lot, something I was hearing a lot lately, again, as realizing what the theme was for this month, was this judgment around people's needs or how they approached them in relationships and connection. So I heard a lot of things like, I feel needy, like I'm coming off desperate in connection or I feel like I'm being babied for just wanting to be held gently and tenderly and comforted by my partner. I'm feeling needy for wanting my emotions to be considered in this relationship too. I feel selfish for wanting and even asking for my needs in this relationship. so there's all this judgment, needy, selfish, desperate, very judgmental lens to view that through, to view the self through, right? And again, highlighting how important this self-compassion piece is because there, let me, okay, I'm going to give you an example here. And this isn't mine. I heard it somewhere. I wish I could remember who from, but it was a great video and it stuck with me. And it basically talked about this idea of being, quote, quote, needy, okay? And hearing people judge themselves for being desperate and needy and all these things in their connection. So let's say that you have one person who, you know, just living their day. They had breakfast, they had lunch that day, right? And they made dinner plans later that evening um, at a restaurant to go eat some spaghetti, right? And then you have another person who was just lost in the desert for weeks without any food or water. And they have that same plate of spaghetti sitting right in front of them. Those two people are going to eat that spaghetti in a very different way, wouldn't you say? Right? The person who had breakfast and lunch that day and they're just going to a casual dinner, they're just going to eat it like it's another third meal of the day, right? 
but you might say that the person who was in the desert for a week without food and water might be desperately drinking and eating and scarfing down this food, right? It might look very differently the way these two people are eating. But would you really call the person who was scarfing down that food after they had been starving in the desert, would you really call them needy? No, probably not, right? They went how long without the human need for food and sustenance, right? That they ate that food so desperately than the person who had also gotten that sustenance two times already that day, right? We wouldn't call that person needy, right? Because they just went a long time without that need being met. So it impacted their behavior, okay? And so putting that back into this context of connection, Right? All these things I heard about, oh, I'm needy, I'm coming off desperate because I long for connection. I am needy for wanting my feelings to be heard. I'm needy for wanting to be comforted. Calling yourself needy, needy isn't even a real thing. I'm just going to say that. There is no such thing as being needy. You are not needy. You have gone a long time without an unmet need. And I just want you to sit with that. Anytime you start to feel like you're being needy or desperate, it is only a measurement of how long you have gone without having that need met. Whether that's connection, love, validation, comfort, right? Any of these things, compare it to the person who has been in the desert without that need met. They are going to, sure, act a little bit differently when that need is finally right in front of them or when they feel so close to it. So that's just something I want you to ponder and sit with. That was one of the major things things that was coming up was about this idea of being needy. When we all have needs, and if they're not getting met, and they haven't been met for a long time, whether that be because one was really disconnected from their emotions and didn't even realize that they were going so long without this need, or that they carry fears of rejection and criticism and love withdrawal for when they actually do share their emotions and ask for what they need. So they fear it and so they never speak up about it because they're scared that they're gonna be met the same way that they were as a child. You are not needy if you find yourself feeling that way. You've just gone a long time without that need met, and it would be completely valid and understandable why you would feel so desperate for it once you're finally so close to it. Because you've been needing it. And there's no such thing as being too needy. You just don't have that need met. And so, as we talked about, This is how we start to listen to our emotions, but we have to also be self, we have to be compassionate to ourselves to be able to access this part. You can't judge and be mean to yourself to get better, to feel better. It starts with accepting how you're feeling and not adding to the pain by being cruel or judgmental of yourself. Instead of saying, I feel needy for coming off, desperate in connection, say, I've been longing for connection. I've been longing for it. 
that's that's why I feel this way. I've been longing for connection because I've gone so long without it. Instead of calling yourself a big baby for wanting to be tenderly comforted by your partner, be able to say, I haven't received tenderness and gentleness and comfort in a long time. And when I feel this way, I desire and need to feel comforted. Right? Rather than saying, oh, I'm needy for wanting my feelings to be considered in this relationship. You can say that and acknowledge that, you know, I have felt unheard in this relationship and that matters. If you're saying that I feel selfish for wanting and asking for my needs to be met, you can remind yourself and acknowledge that, okay, I haven't been getting some of my needs met. And it matters that I ask for that because I also deserve to get my needs met. So it really starts with, again, how we meet ourselves. As I said at the beginning, an emotion is a cue to look inward and check in in our internal state of being. So next time you have a feeling come up, instead of grabbing the remote, grabbing the phone, distracting, working, grabbing a Snickers bar, whatever the thing is that you do immediately to remove yourself from the feeling, sit with it for a sec. Notice it, this shift in your internal being. Breathe, sit with it for a second. And get curious, not judgmental. The curious as to what it is trying to communicate to you about what you need in this moment and just see what happens and just always remember to be kind to yourself to treat yourself the way you've wanted other people to treat you start with being your own number one and treat yourself kindly Thank you for listening to this episode of the Lightcast podcast. Remember, new episodes are out monthly. You can also visit me at my website, www.stephaniegtherapy.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Stephanie G Therapy. Take care.